From the social justice classroom inside Hugh Boyd Secondary, this is Voices. A youth-created podcast driven by a steadfast commitment to improving the world around us. Hi, everyone. It's Justin and Kelvin here, and you are listening to Voices Podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking about the current situation in Ukraine, where Ukrainian men, women, and children continue to demonstrate courage, resilience, and heroism in the face of the Russian invasion of their free nation. We will also be discussing the refugee crisis and the role of our province in supporting Ukrainians. We are very privileged to have a guest starring in today's podcast, Father Mikhailo Azorovich, the pastor at Holy Eucharist Ukrainian Catholic Cathedral in New Westminster. Father Azorovich and his church have been instrumental in raising money for Ukrainian aid and taking steps to welcome Ukrainian refugees to BC. He has also become a voice for Vancouverites with family in Ukraine. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's get right into the questions then. Um, so could you first tell us a little bit about yourself, such as where you were born and when you came to Canada? I'm, uh, I was born in Western Ukraine, a city called Ivano-Frankivsk, the western part of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, I grew up there. I entered seminary there, so began, began my priestly formation in, in my city, hometown. And I came to Canada exactly 10 years ago, or in, in, in June, it'll be 10 years since, wow. I became, since I came first time here. And this year is when I got my Canadian passport. So kind of journey, 10 year journey, yeah. coming as an international student and then uh, staying here in Canada and ministering people uh, in uh, New Westminster at the cathedral there and um, receiving my Canadian passport citizenship. Awesome, awesome. Um, is it okay with you? Would you be able to tell us about your current situation of your family in Ukraine? Or about the situation of your people in your hometown in Ukraine? Well, thankfully, uh, my hometown is uh, far from where the their active fighting happening. Mm. Uh, it was very scary at the beginning of Russian invasion because that's when they fired long-range missiles all the way into Western Ukraine, all the way into my city. So when I just uh, woke up to the news that Russia invaded Ukraine and the missiles hit Ivano-Frankivsk, uh, you don't know what it means, right? It doesn't mean they hit uh, one house, half city, all the city. You know what kind of missile? Mm, uh, so, so rockets. It was it was very tough that first day, and then you know, getting in touch with my family, with my parents. My mom and dad are still in Ukraine, and all my friends and extended family are in Western Ukraine. But then we realized that that oh, uh, that uh, targeted. A missile was just for the airport because we have a military airport in our city, and every couple of days that would happen on and on. So they would say they would uh, fire a long-range missile into Ivano-Frankivsk. Uh, but thankfully, all in all, compared to atrocities happening elsewhere in Ukraine, my city is you know perfectly safe and uh, is a is a safe haven for uh, internally displaced Ukrainians. Awesome. So before we discuss about how your church is supporting Ukrainian families, we wanted to briefly ask you about like you and your reaction to the war itself. Um, tensions have been building up between Ukraine and Russia for a while, but how did the invasion surprise you? 
It did surprise me, as a matter of fact, because I remember talking to somebody before that, and I was hoping and betting that the war won't happen. Uh, I'm forever optimist, and I think that got a better part of me when I was asked, will Russia invade? Uh, so I, I was surprised. Uh, but looking back at it, I, I shouldn't be surprised, right? We, we had these tensions uh, on and on. We had the initial and first invasion of Russia onto independent Ukraine in 2014 when they uh, took over Crimean Peninsula, when they took over Donbass region. So, and the war has been for, for eight years. So uh, why, why should have I been surprised as they've been invading Ukraine for the last eight years anyways? But mm. this was just a little bit... Um, I guess, more surprising in the scale of it and, and the ambitions of it, right? To take the capital, to take it from all three sides at the same time and, you know, victory overnight with this humongous power, manpower and uh, military uh, power. So that, that, was, that was surprising. But what was even more surprising is the resilience and the fight that uh, our people are putting up. Because yeah, uh, again, the war has been on for eight years. So it's not that we didn't have an opportunity to shine before, but clearly those eight years have made Ukrainian people stronger, more united, more resilient, uh, more confident, more defined who they are as people with their own identity, nation, language, culture. And uh, all of that is um, what we're seeing still, where Ukraine is actually pushing out Russian forces of that magnitude that came uh, already six week, weeks ago and uh, now we are pushing them back and gaining territory back and showing just miraculous uh, shrewdness in military action. Hmm. Yeah, speaking of the resilience of the Ukrainian people right now, do you have any thoughts about um, President Zelensky and his leadership during these times? It's a beautiful example. I mean, everybody, everybody did not take him too seriously. And in the first, and me included, I guess I, I'll, I'll have to confess to my unsureness about uh, the president because he was uh, a TV star. He was a, a comic, like he was a stand-up comedian for for most of his adult life, and yeah. that's how he made a career off, right? So uh, that's where the imp the impressiveness of his character showed in these times of war, right? And what kind of man he actually is, and what kind of leader he actually is. And it doesn't really matter who you were, but it's who you are and not what position and role that you held or didn't hold, but uh, what kind of virtue you can show in time of crisis. And that Zelensky definitely does still do. You're absolutely right. I, I see his leadership and his like bravery, like joining the war instead of backing out like other world leaders do. So he's very, very brave for that. Yes. So... Can you tell us what you think has given Ukrainians such strength and resiliency towards this war? Um, that's what has always been fueling the national identity, right? Desire for independence and not giving in to terror of any sorts, emotional, economical, or military in this, in this case. Um, and then love towards those who are behind, right? So all the soldiers that are going to the front, all those who are willing to lay their lives, they're not doing it out of hatred of Russian people. Uh, they're doing it out of love of those who they leave behind. 
So there's no animosity towards Russian people uh, at all. All the thousands of soldiers that uh, had to die on Russian you know, side in Ukraine is not because we hate them. It's just because we love our people and we love who we are and we want to defend and stand up for our values, our language, for identity, for what we believe in. Yes. <clears throat> All right. We're going to um, get into the um, part where your church takes um, an effort for helping Ukrainians. So we understand that your church is supporting Ukrainian families in many ways. Can you tell us a little bit about what your church is doing? Everything, uh, anything and everything that our church has been able to do in last month is thanks to generosity of people around us. Uh, we are a small community, uh, you know, 100 people present at a service on a Sunday. But just in the last month, we are able to collect and disperse $153,000 right? for a parish that had, you know, $5,000 in their bank account when I came as a parish priest five years ago. It's an immense uh, achievement. And it's not due to merit of people in the church only, but it's the community at large. Everybody sees this war as clear-cut evil against good, black and white. It has never been clearer than, than now. So that's why people really want to help. And we just became that hub of activity to either collect uh, funds here, buy medical supplies and deliver it to Ukraine, or help displaced people coming to lower mainland. Uh, in all those ways, the, the people of Parish uh, and a you know, community large came together in an amazing show of solidarity. Uh, and that's also inspiring and uplifting and encouraging to keep fighting in our own front, right? And not all of us can go to Ukraine and fight there with, with the weapons, but all of us can by concrete evil in our own lives, in our daily lives, by choosing virtue and good, contribute to the victory. And that's what people have been doing here through their generosity and their hospitality and their openness and their desire to sacrifice a little bit of their own life to help the much suffering people of Ukraine. You're absolutely right. So after doing some research about you, we understand that you are a part of the roundtable discussions with Premier John Horgan about the steps the province will take to support Ukrainians refugees. Can you tell us a little bit about BC's government plans for helping Ukraine? The uh, province of British Columbia has been, uh, I think, very good in their response to the crisis, in their response to the support of people in Ukraine. Um, uh, province, you know, from very, very early on, engaged local Ukrainian communities to actually listen and hear what can be done, offered everything they can uh, in their, you know, legal power right now, and even seeing ways how they can uh, introduce legislation where more services can be offered to this, to these temporary displaced Ukrainians coming to British Columbia, right? There's a special scenario, immigration scenario, open stream that are open for Ukrainians who are coming here. And that doesn't make them qualify for all federal services and provincial ones. So provincial government has been very creative and very, uh, you know, even pushing for federal government to open more resources to temporary displaced Ukrainians and engage in local refugee response teams that have been created uh, in the previous refugee crisis, Afghani crisis uh, especially, and uh, using all resources possible. Uh, and because you know we have uh, three levels of government, the federal, provincial, and municipal, all of them have to come together really 
to provide efficient and uh, proper support of the temporary displaced people. And that takes time, right? It's a big machinery of government on all three levels. But if all of them are committed to do everything possible, then uh, great work can be, can be done. And I'm privileged to be part of that. Awesome. Right. We're about to wrap up here. Is there anything you think the world or Canadians can learn from these tragic events or a positive perspective we might take? I think we always need to be aware of evil present in the world. Uh, we need not to dis become desensitized to evil and the forms it takes in our world. We need to be able to distinguish uh, that evil in our life, in our communities, in our tendencies, in our uh, mentality, wherever you are here in Lower Mainland. And we need to fight against it, right? We need not need it, not we need not to allow evil to envelop us, be it through consumerism, be it through uh, any other ideology uh, of that the 21st century presents. And in Ukraine, it's military power, it's uh, brainwashing, uh, it's uh, caused by Russians and 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 Russia as well. But we have our own challenges. So we need to be really attentive and very honest about the problems we're having here and need to solve them with God's grace for, for better uh, for all the people and for our own salvation. I think that's about it. Thank you for your time, Father. Thank um, you very, thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. God bless you.